Well, this morning, um, we're continuing our series in the great stories of the Old Testament. And um, we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. But before um, I um, read from the text, let me just give you some historical context. Um, In 1 Kings chapter 19, you're going to meet uh, a few individuals. The first person that you'll meet is Ahab. And Ahab is the king of Israel, and he's a thumbs-down kind of king. In fact, the Bible says that he does more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings before him. I mean, imagine having the title of worst of the worst. (laughs) That's Ahab, worst of the worst. And then Ahab um, has a, a wife, and the wife's name is Jezebel. And Jezebel is a thumbs down kind of queen. In fact, um, in 1 Kings chapter 16, Ahab and Jezebel, they do something horrible. They worship this god called Baal, a false god named Baal. And to make matters worse, they also build Baal a temple. And so God is fed up. And so enters our hero. And our hero, his name is Elijah. You can think of it this way. Imagine that with me that Ahab and Jezebel, they're the dark side. Yeah? And Elijah, he is the Jedi master. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, there is a galactic battle on Mount Carmel. And the forces of the dark side have gathered 450 of the prophets of Baal have gathered against Elijah, our Jedi master, and his lightsaber. But the odds are stacked against him. But the force is with him. (laughs) And Elijah, with his lightsaber, slaughters all 450 of these prophets of Baal, and it's a decisive victory And we all love 1 Kings chapter 18 and stories like that because it speaks of victory and triumph and winning the battle for God. But unfortunately, we're not in 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19, which tells us a different story. Listen with me to what happens to Elijah next. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1 says this. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Elijah, and so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life, like that of one of them. And so, Jezebel receives word of what Elijah did to these 450 prophets of Baal. And she's angry. She's steamy. She's beside herself. She wants revenge. She wants blood. And so she puts a hit on Elijah's life. And she sends a messenger to Elijah to give him 
a death threat. Now, we would expect a powerful and godly Jedi master like Elijah to be cool, calm, and collected even in the face of threat from the dark side. But listen to what the Bible says next. You'll be surprised. It says this. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belonged uh, Beersheba in Judah. But he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Listen to his words. He says, "I." Have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom bush and fell asleep. The Bible says that Elijah is afraid for his life and he takes off running. In a moment of despair, Elijah flees. You think Elijah would have remembered 1 Kings chapter 18 and that decisive victory on Mount Carmel, but he doesn't. Instead, Elijah has had enough. Currently, Elijah is this burnt-out servant of the Lord. He has had enough. I have had enough. Those four words so accurately describe the human condition of many of us at one time or another, doesn't it? The cost is too much. The calling is too difficult. The load is too heavy. I have had enough. The journey is too hard. The mountain is too steep. The road is too long. I have had enough. I quit. I surrender. I throw in the towel. I have had enough. Like Elijah, there are times and points in our life when we feel like we've had enough. Sometimes the storms of life overwhelm even the best of us. And if it's not one thing, then it's another. And sometimes the cry of our heart is like that of Elijah. I have had enough. Or maybe, as I'm speaking, you're thinking about a person. A person is on your mind, a loved one, or a family member, or a friend. And perhaps that person's cry, the cry of that person's heart is, I have had enough. And maybe you're supposed to send a link to this sermon to that person to encourage them this week. You see, even though Elijah felt like he had enough, God didn't give up on Elijah. 
and he's not going to give up on you. Take a look at what happens next to Elijah. I love this part. It says this, beginning in verse 5. It says, All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there at his head was some bread baked on hot coals and a jar of water. And Elijah ate and drank, and then he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat. And so Elijah got up and he ate and drank. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says that strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I love this part of the story. Elijah's enemy, Jezebel, sends a messenger to give Elijah 24-hour notice, a death threat. And the Lord God Almighty, creator of the cosmos, creator of heaven and earth, sends a messenger of his own, an angel. An angel comes, wakes Elijah up, and gives him some hot bread to eat and a jar of water to drink. Now you have to understand where Elijah is, church. Elijah is in the wilderness. Elijah is in the desert. There is no Leonard's Malasada food trucks in the desert, church. Leonard's Malasada. Nope, not in the desert. You see, here's the lesson for us. When you've had enough, God will renew your strength. When you need God... He will be there for you. And he is not dependent on circumstances to help you. Elijah has bread and water in a place that should have neither because God is looking out for Elijah and he's going to do the same for you. And not just once, but twice, the angel comes and says to Elijah, Get up! I love those words, get up. It reminds me of the movie Rocky Five. Anyone, rock, any Rocky fans? In, oh, we got, even women are Rocky fans. Yeah, I love Rocky. Uh, let's do a Rocky marathon one day. We'll show it on the big screen. In Rocky Five, the Italian stallion just has, has had one of the greatest uh, victories of his career against the Russian Ivan Drago. And he comes home to find out that his accountant, his best friend, Polly, has squandered all of his wealth, all of his belongings, everything gone because of bad business deals. And to compound matters, the doctors tell Rocky that he has career-ending brain damage. And so Rocky is depressed. Rocky is overwhelmed. Rocky has had enough. Now I want you to take a look at this video clip. Enjoy this. 
Sounds a lot like um, the story in Elijah, doesn't it? Elijah is afraid and he's feel like he's he's feeling like he's going down. And this angel wakes Elijah up and says, Get up! Because the Lord loves you. And maybe God's word for us this morning is this when you feel like you've had enough, and you feel like you're hurt and you're going down. Get up! Because Jesus loves you. Amen. Let's take a look at what happens next to Elijah. In verse 11, it says this. It says, Eli, it says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then listen carefully to this. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. This verse, these few passages, very interesting. Because Elijah is expecting God to show up in some big, grandiose, miraculous kind of way. Maybe a burning bush. Maybe uh, like Moses on Mount Sinai. He's expecting to God, God to show up in some powerful way. But God isn't in the wind, and he's not in the earthquake, he's not in the fire, and Elijah's thinking, where's God? And then God shows up in a gentle whisper, almost the sound of silence. Sometimes we pray, and we cry out to God. We plead and we beg, but there doesn't seem to be any answer. No dramatic miracles, no change in circumstances. Almost the sound of silence, and we wonder, God, are you there? And through Elijah, we learn that just because God seems to be absent, don't make the mistake of, uh, just because God seems to be silent, don't make the mistake of concluding that God is absent. You see, when you've had enough, God will reassure you of his presence. God will reassure you of his presence. There's a famous poem that, um, that we've all probably seen at one time or another. And there's different versions out there because um, it's disputed as to who's the author. But the poem is called Footprints in the Sand. And this poem kind of clearly illustrates that God is present even when it seems like he's not. It says this. It says, One night I dreamed a dream. As, as I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. 
For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. And the Lord whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. When you've had enough, God will reassure you of his presence. And finally, in our story, in verse 15, it says this. It says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet to succeed you. Here, God reaffirms Elijah's assignment. I love this part because in essence, God is saying to Elijah, you're still my guy. I have a work that I want to do through you. I have an assignment on your life. And God reaffirms Elijah's assignment. Here's the lesson for us. When you've had enough, God will reaffirm your assignment. This week has been particularly difficult, a particularly difficult week for my wife and I. And to be honest with you, my heart feels heavy. My wife's sister is heavy on my heart. She is in the ICU fighting for her life. And earlier this week, they needed to do emergency incubation to keep her alive. My heart feels heavy. My wife's first cousin is heavy on my heart. He has pancreatic cancer. And he also was rushed to the ICU this past week. And he's on the hospital bed fighting for his life. My heart feels heavy. Many of you are heavy on my heart. Many of you are going through difficult situations that no one else should ever have to go through. And you're trying to fight the good fight of faith, but sometimes you feel tired and discouraged. And my heart feels heavy for you. It's been that kind of week for me. And in my helplessness, I've been kind of crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? And you won't believe God's response. God's response came in the form of this letter that I just received in recently. And it's a letter from Rolando. 
Rolando is an 11-year-old boy who lives in poverty in the Philippines. My wife and I have been sponsoring Rolando through Compassion International. And in addition to providing financial support, we also exchange letters. And so he writes letters to us to let us know how he's doing. And we write letters back to him to encourage him and to let him know that he's loved. Well, Rolando, in his recent letter that I just opened, also included a scripture verse. And the scripture verse is on the screen. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote this. He wrote, Stand firm. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm supposed to be encouraging this 11-year-old boy who lives in poverty in the Philippines. And instead, God uses this 11-year-old boy, Rolando, to encourage me. Stand firm, Thomas. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And through Rolando, I sense God saying to me, and renewing my strength. I sense God reassuring me of his presence. And I sense God reaffirming my assignment. And some of you, you're going through some difficult situations in life. And you want to quit. You want to give up. And like Elijah, maybe, maybe the cry of your heart is, I have had enough, Lord. I can't take it anymore. Don't give up. You can't just quit. Because you didn't just join. In fact, you didn't choose God. But God chose you. And God has a work that he wants to do through you. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. There is a reason that you are alive. God wants to use you. And when you feel like you've had enough, remember, God will renew your strength. God will reassure you of his presence. And God will reaffirm your assignment. Is that a good word? Amen. Let us pray.